Matt sent me uh, an email about two months ago and said, I'm driving through Bloomfield. I got thinking about the times we've been together for lunch, wondering if you could preach this weekend. And uh, I wrote back and said yes. And then unexpectedly, three weeks ago, I unplanned, had my gallbladder removed three weeks ago yesterday. And I wrote him and said, I'm, I'm assuming I'll be okay, but just in case you better be aware, I might not be there. Well, I'm here. <clears throat> I still have uh, some congestion in my throat. I think it's from the breathing tube they stuck down. So I have to clear my throat every once in a while. Sorry, that's just the way it is right now. Uh, but I, I do appreciate the invitation to be here and be with you. Uh, once again, I was here, I think about five years ago in between pastures, and uh, I appreciated that invitation from Matt. Uh, there was a young rabbi who was assigned to a synagogue, and when he got there in the very first service, partway through the worship part, there was a half the congregation was standing, and the other half of the congregation was seated. And he thought that was a little strange. They hadn't prepared him for that. And then in the midst of all of that worship, this half that's standing starts yelling at the other half, saying, you're supposed to be standing during this part of the worship service. And the people that were seated were saying, no, you're supposed to be seated during this part of the worship service. Well, that went on and for two Sabbaths in a row, and the young rabbi didn't know what to do. So finally, he took a representative from the stand-up side and a representative from the sit-down side, and they went and visited the senior, older, retired, founding rabbi of the synagogue. And the young rabbi said to the old rabbi, I don't know what to do. Listen, here's a representative of one portion of our congregation. And he stood and said, Rabbi, we're supposed to stand during this part of the worship service. That's the tradition. And the old rabbi said, no, that's not the, the tradition. And then the one that represented the sit-down side gained a lot of courage and said, Rabbi, during that part of the service, we're supposed to be seated, right? That's the tradition. And the senior rabbi said, no, that's not the tradition. Now the young rabbi is confused. He said, sir, what is the tradition? Right now, it's, it's a mess. One side is yelling at the other. And the old rabbi says, that's the tradition. <laughs> now, uh, no, we, we laugh at that and we say, well, that's them. Couldn't happen to us. Want to bet? I've had people get mad at me because of the translation I used. I've had people, which happens to be New American Standard. I've had people leave our church because we changed the time of a service. You say, well, that's Baptist. <laughs> My wife grew up Presbyterian. In her little church where her parents went until they passed away a few years ago, I'm talking little, 60 people maybe, they had a young man come in, got elected as an elder, began to raise people up against the pastor who'd been there for about 25 years, got so much opposition that he was forced to resign. Then the young elder left the church. It happens everywhere. I wanna talk about unity, and if you think about unity in the New Testament, there's probably, if you know the Bible, one picture, one word picture that comes to mind, and that would be the body of Christ. 
We're all part of it. We have our hands, ears, eyes, nose, feet, legs. We're all part of the body of Christ. It's a beautiful image. This morning, I want to look at an Old Testament passage, Psalm 133. Boy, you guys produce a book here. I couldn't believe it. At, at Wittenberry, we produce one program a month. It's got no details in it except for details of events. This is amazing. Anyway, Psalm 133. If you have a Bible or you have a phone with a Bible on it, I'd like to ask you to turn there uh, because here's my conviction. The, the book is alive, and it can do something for you I can't do standing up here this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'd really appreciate it if you turn there. Psalm 133. And in this psalm, David, who wrote it, he is going to give us some imagery. It's not the body of Christ. Matter of fact, he's going to give us two word pictures. The, the psalm is only three verses long. And the, the word pictures are really different. They're out of our culture. The first one is kind of yuck. Second one's a little bit more pleasant. Let me read Psalm 133, which is about unity. A song of ascents of David. In the Hebrew text, that's verse 1. Verse 1 in our text. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like, here's the yucky verse. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down on the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. The introduction says this is a psalm of ascent going up. If you look at the next Psalm, 134, it's a song of ascent. If you went backwards, all the way back to 120, 120 to 134 are 15 songs of ascent going up. Most Bible scholars believe these are songs that were sung by Israel as they went to Jerusalem for the great festivals God had established. So when the nation of Israel will be traveling, say from northern Israel and Galilee, they'd be moving and singing these songs together. And as people would join from various villages, various towns, the group would get bigger and bigger. And one of the songs they would sing is about unity. It's a, it's a picture in and of itself. Coming together to the Mount of Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And it is going up. So they're ascending together to worship God in one unity. David wrote this psalm. David had been in unity. He'd also been in disunity, hadn't he? Saul chased him for his life. His son Absalom revolted against him. David had been on both sides of this. So we're going to talk about unity. Verse 1. He lays down the basic principle. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Dwell together. Coming together. Here, I'm going to show you a couple of slides. I got four from this morning right out of Logo software, Bible software. Um, and this one just demonstrates the word together. Look at the different ways it can be translated. But it basically is coming to, together, being united. What is unity? Here's one dictionary definition. Being one, combining into one, something that is whole, harmonious, bringing things together. Now, just because we're believers in Jesus doesn't mean we're together or united. I mean, you've been studying this summer the book of Acts. There's a lot of unity in the book of Acts. They got together and prayed the 120. The Spirit came, chapter 2. Then you come to chapter 
5, and you got Ananias and Sapphira lying about the gift. In chapter 6, you got the Hellenistic widows who aren't being cared for. So just because we're believers doesn't necessarily mean we are together in unity. Matter of fact, one of the themes I'm going to try to develop is we have to work at this. In verse 1, he says and describes this unity as my translation says, and the NIV is the same, good and pleasant. Here's the word good. It's the most common word in the Hebrew text for good. And you can see it's translated beautiful, prosperity, goodness, agreeable. The second word is pleasant. And it's, it's, they're basically interchangeable words. He's saying this, the same thing. I'm going to talk about community in the body of Christ. And before I develop what he does with these word pictures, let me ask you a question to think about. Why is this so difficult? Well, there's probably lots of answers. We have sin. We tend to be selfish. We tend to want our way. We like things the way we want them. We've been hurt by others. We have insecurities. Uh, We've experienced pain in the past. We have fears. We distrust each other. I grew up in a tradition that was kind of rigid. And I have a personality that likes to be right. I'd like to be married to that. Right? You know, I, I am right. And, and, and the tradition that I grew up in, it was kind of because we believe in the Bible and we believe this is absolute truth, we begin to project that absolute truth applies to everything that I believe. And so that you have to agree with me about everything. While I was in seminary, I had a theology course where Dr. Riley was the professor, and he gave this diagram. I mean, it doesn't doesn't say anything. It's just a bunch of circles, but look at it for a moment. This opened my eyes to see something I had never seen before. Uh, There's another diagram. I hope. Maybe we're stuck. Keep going. One. There you go. Look at that for a moment. Just a bunch of concentric concentric circles. If you're a person that believes in Jesus and are following him, believe in the book, believe in absolutes, there are some core things in the center circle that we believe in. This is God's word. God is a triune God. Jesus died for our sin. We are sinners. We can only have eternal life by receiving the gift by faith. There are some core things we believe, we share. But then there's some other circles that have things that are not quite as central that we differ on. I told you my wife grew up Presbyterian. She's the first person I ever baptized by immersion as a believer when we came to Bloomfield. Baptism, Christians differ on. I mean, if if I was to say to the person who left my church because of the the version of the Bible that I used to preach from, I would have put that, I'm not even sure it would be one of those circles. You know, there's stuff out there that doesn't matter as much. Are you with me? Former government, there's all kinds of stuff. The way you're going to do the Lord's Supper this morning. I'm guessing you're going to pass it around and serve us out there. I don't know, I've not been here for that here. 
You come to Wintonbury, it's a mess. Intentionally. Intentionally. We ask people to come up and take it and talk to each other and interact and have fellowship while we do it together. It's different. Neither is right or wrong. This, this diagram helped me so much to recognize not everything that I am convinced of has to be in a center. I can fellowship with people who just have the core with me. Here's one other question before I move on to the pictures in this passage. Is it possible that you or I make unity difficult? Whoa. I think there's, there's probably lots of ways we could make it difficult, but I think there's primarily two. One, I just want my way. I'm going to argue. I'm going to fight. I'm going to talk to others about you or whatever. I'm going to make trouble. That's one way. The other way you can make unity difficult is not to do anything. Just to be a spectator. Don't contribute the gift God gave you. Don't participate. Don't share. Don't be involved. Just watch. Be a spectator. That helps create disunity in the body of Christ. This is God's idea. This is not something I made up or church history has given to us. This is God's idea that we would work together in unity. Listen to Ephesians 4, which is a great chapter on unity. He says, Paul's writing, he says, with all humility, this is Ephesians 4, 2, in gentleness, with patience, ooh, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent, look at this line, being diligent, this is our responsibility, to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You catch that? What he's saying is God created his body, the church, with unity. Our job is to preserve what God created. We each, every one of us, has a responsibility to preserve what God has created. And then it goes on to talk about the one spirit, the one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Verse 1, I would summarize from Psalm 133 as saying, community is beautiful. Why? Then he gives us two word pictures. The first one is kind of weird. Look at it, verse 2. It is like the precious oil coming on the head. Okay, somebody's getting anointed with oil on the head. Coming down on the beard. Ooh, this is not a little dab of oil. This is not a drop of oil. This is a lot of oil coming down on the head, down on the beard, even Aaron's beard. Oh, Aaron, Moses' brother, the first high priest of the nation of Israel. This is Aaron, the high priest, being anointed with an oil coming down upon the edge of his robes. Yuck. What in the world is David saying to his people? Well, let me read a little bit from Exodus 30 where the oil is described for the first time. Verse 22, Exodus 30. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take for yourself the finest of spices, the flowing myrrh, five hundred shekels, and a he's describing the ingredients of this oil. It's a special oil. A fragment of cinnamon, half as much, 250. And a fragment of cane, 250. And cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And of olive oil, a hen. This is not just olive oil. It is special. 
And then he says in verse 30, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. He continues and says, you shall speak to the sons of Israel. This shall be a holy, set apart anointing oil to me throughout your generations. Listen carefully. It shall not be poured on anybody's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same proportions. It is holy. It is set apart to me and to you. Whoever, listen to this line, whoever shall mix anything like it or whoever puts any of it on a layman shall be cut off from his people. You can't make this and sell it at CVS in the perfume counter. This is special and unique oil. Again, in verse 29, you shall consecrate them. They must be holy. Whoever touches it shall be holy. He says, Aaron had this poured down his head onto his beard, and then it says the edge of the robe. Here's literally is the word mouth. There's another one of those Hebrew words. It's probably this is the mouth, although the sleeve is the mouth. The bottom of the robe is the mouth. When Aaron was anointed as the first high priest with this oil, it came down his head, down his beard, all down his robe. That's a lot of oil. Yuck. What's the point? What's that got to do with unity? Here's a, a rendition of what a high priest would have looked like. On his chest, there's a special part of his vestments. Do you know what this was called? Ephod. Do you know what was on the ephod? Here's a close-up picture of it. How many stones are there there? And there are names written on them. I'm sure you can't read the names. What do you guess those names represent? Twelve tribes of Israel. When the oil came down Aaron's head and down his beard and across the mouth of his robe and went down his chest, it covered all twelve tribes of Israel. It's a picture of unity. We are one in the family of God. So what may be yucky to me, to the Israelites, was a beautiful picture. Jesus taught the disciples when they prayed to say, Our Father, not just my Father. Now this whole concept of unity is not just an idea that God has. It's not just God's idea. It is God's identity. Think about that for a moment. Our God is a tri-unity God. Here's one of the diagrams that I've liked about who God is, but the Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. The Father didn't die for your sin. The Father was involved in that. The Spirit didn't die for your sin, but He was there. We have a tri This is the very nature of God, to be united, one. Philosophers say, really, the whole concept of diversity and unity is centered in the very nature of our Creator, God. So what does this picture of Aaron and the oil represent? I think the community is not only beautiful, verse 1, it's also special, it's unique. What we can experience as believers in Christ is unique in all of the earth. And it is spiritual. It's something that goes beyond just being on a team together. It's beyond just accomplishing a project together. It's beyond being in the same political party. Have you ever had the experience where out of the blue you, you bumped into someone you didn't know and they turned out to be your brother and sister in Christ and something happens at that moment? I, I can remember the first time I had that experience. I was about 10 years old. 
we were vacationing at Sebago Lake State Park in Maine, which is what my family did most, almost every summer. And there was a couple campsites away, a kid playing with Tonka trucks, uh, the old metal Tonka trucks. I, I never had a Tonka truck, but I really liked them. And I was watching him, and I eventually inched my way over, and we began to play together. I found out his name was Alan. And as we're making roads and doing stuff with these, these trucks, Alan just happens to say that he attended a Christian school. <laughs> All of a sudden, I felt a connection to Alan that went far beyond Tonka trucks. I mean, this is in the 1950s. You know how few Christian schools there were any place in New England? I attended a Christian school. We discovered that his family were believers, and they were there with three other families from their church, and we planned our vacations together the next five years. There was something special that happens when you meet up and connect with another brother or sister in Christ. Community is beautiful, special, and spiritual. Finally, third, or third verse, second word picture. This one's a little easier to take. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Now that one sounds a little better than the oil on Aaron's beard. It's like the dew of Hermon. That's Mount Hermon. Here's a, a map. I hope I can... That There's a couple clicks, what I call clicks. If you just put a couple more enters on this thing here. Mount Hermon's way up north. Jerusalem's down here. Jerusalem's at 2,500 feet. Mount Hermon's at 9,200 feet. Over here are the inches in rainfall, which are the colors on the map. And you can see that Mount Hermon is going to get a lot more rain. Look at the color versus Jerusalem. I'm going to show you a picture of Mount Hermon that may surprise you. It's not something you usually think about when you think of Israel. But here is Mount Hermon with snow cap. That's part of Israel. We think of Israel as a dry, arid land. Here's what's at the base of Mount Hermon, the beginning of the Jordan River. So when David says in this song to the nation of Israel, it's like the dew of Mount Hermon. He's saying, this is the lifeblood of Israel. This is where the water comes from. This is what allows us to survive. This is what makes this the land of milk and honey. Now there's one phrase that is just kind of tucked in here, repeated three times. And to me, whenever I'm in the book and I find something repeated multiple times, I want to know why. It must be important. But it's kind of in passing. But on Aaron's beard, the, the oil came down on his beard, and then it came down on his mouth of his robe. And here the dew comes down from the Mount Hermon, coming down three times. I think the significance of that is that unity comes down from God, comes down to leadership. You're a leader. You're involved in ministry. You lead a team. You're an elder. Comes down, and leaders have to demonstrate, lead us into unity. It comes down from the top. I think the image of Herman says that community is not only beautiful, special, spiritual, it's also refreshing, and it's beneficial. How, how is it that unity is beneficial? It's good for us. I mean, if we're going to be united in his church, we're going to have to get along, which means we're going to have to forgive each other. We're going to hurt each other at times. There's another New Testament word. We have to forbear, which means put up with. 
each other. We are differences. We have different personalities. We have different likes and dislikes. Earlier in the service, Hebrews 10 was referred to. Come together and stimulate. Actually, calculate is the, is the Greek word. Each other to love and good deeds. Personally, this is an opinion, but I don't think it's possible to grow into maturity as a Christian apart from the local church. Ephesians 4. Look at 12 to 16. You grow up together. Everyone contributes. You need each other to grow. You need to, to rub the rough edges at times. You need to forgive. You need to forbear. Listen to Jesus' prayer the night he was arrested. John 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the 12, but for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and me. Jesus is praying that we may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. There it is. That's the triune God. That they may also be one in us. Why? So the world may believe you sent me. Now, do you think the enemy, Satan, knows this truth? (laughs) Of course he does. And he'll do anything he can to create disunity in the body of Christ. Because he knows if we get it together as a community, we'll have an impact on the world in which we live. Let me share, when, when I first preached this back in the early 1980s to our church in Bloomfield, I, I took this whole passage and I applied it strictly to our church. We need to get along. Now, we weren't in conflict, so at that moment... Um, but that was the application. In the last 20 years, I've learned something that is far bigger than the local church. Listen to this verse. It's the only verse I know in the New Testament that teaches this. But in Acts 9, verse 31, it reads this way. So the church, singular, notice that. So the church, singular, throughout all Judea, in Galilee, in Samaria, enjoyed peace being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Did you catch that? And in God's eyes, there is a church of Judea. That's more than a local church. There is a church of Greater Hartford. You are part of it. How are you doing with unity with the church of Jesus Christ in Greater Hartford? How are you doing with the church of Jesus Christ in Simsbury? How are you connecting? How are you working together? I don't even know the answer to that question for the barn. I know it for our church in Bloomfield. This year they did something. You know, I, I don't make decisions there. I attend there and I, I serve there. I do what they ask me to do. This year they made a decision that we had never done before. They moved their vacation Bible school from Bloomfield, which we call Faith Quest. They moved it to Hartford. Wintonbury did Faith Quest, not in Bloomfield, but at Glory Chapel to serve another church, to hold hands. We have a clothes closet once a month where people from the community dump clothes into our trailer in our parking lot. Then people in our church spread it out one Sunday, Saturday a month, free for everyone, anyone. Four times a year, we drive that to Barber Street in Hartford to the Citadel of Love. We're partnering with other churches to, to help recognize we're, it's bigger than us. It's not just us. It's not just the barn. It, 
How are you connecting to the community? So I've been talking about community. I've said that it's beautiful, it is special, it is sacred, spiritual, it is refreshing, and it is beneficial. What is it that unites us? I'm wrapping up. What is it that unites us? It is not your pastor, Matt, who, by the way, you are blessed to have him. Okay? You are. Glad I woke you up. Uh, You are. It's not Matt. It's not your elders. It's not your denomination. There's an illustration from A.W. Tozer. Now, I'm not a musical person, but he said, if you were to go to tune a piano, you take a tuning fork, and you hit it, and they tune that. I couldn't do it. I, don't, I just don't hear stuff like that at all. But if you then wanted to tune 100 pianos to each other, you would not take the tuning fork and tune this piano, and then hit a note on this piano and tune this piano to that one, and then the third one to the second one, and then the fourth one to the third one, and then the fifth one to the fourth one, down the line. No, 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 no. So if you're going to tune the pianos together, you take the tuning fork and you tune each individual 100 of those pianos to the tuning fork. They're in tune in unity. So who is the tuning fork? His name is Jesus. In a moment, we're going to celebrate what he did for us. He is the center. It's about him. Remember, it comes down from the top. If we're going to be a community of the body of Christ in Simsbury and Greater Hartford, we need to be in tune with Him. Are you? Do you know Him? Have you said yes to His free gift of eternal life? Do you walk with Him? Do you communicate with Him on a regular basis? Are you in tune with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, pray that you'd help us to work at the maintaining the unity you created in the body of Christ. Help us to function in this community, in this region, as one. Please help us do that. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.